I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget J. Paul Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. And I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. Hello, I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez, and welcome to What's Next. On a relatively brisk Wednesday night in early September, I was granted the opportunity to quietly stow away on a special educational tour taking place on the east side of Buffalo. That night, I joined the first of many bi-monthly educational workshops for the Clean Mobility Neighborhood Leadership Group, an initiative made possible by funding from the Climate Act and organized by Open Buffalo, Heart of the City Neighborhoods Incorporated, and a number of other community groups. The goal of the project? To educate the community about environmentally friendly transportation options and reducing fossil fuel emissions, as well as being the voice of the needs and wants of the community when it comes to environmental concerns. The program began by holding interviews and out of the 75 Eastside residents that applied, 25 were chosen to be neighborhood leaders. They would be receiving monthly stipends and be responsible to attend educational workshops such as the one that I was joining. This first meeting would focus on visiting three environmental justice sites in East Buffalo that had past issues with arsenic, lead, and other contaminants. We all met up at the Frank E. Merriweather Jr. Library and the vessel that would be taking us to all these ecological impact sites was one of the NFTA's 20 new EV buses. Ashley Smith of the NFTA came aboard before we embarked on our journey to detail some of the work that the NFTA was doing to transition from diesel to electric battery buses. Um, I got into transportation work uh, because I grew up in rural western New York um, the only way you could get anywhere that you needed to go was driving, and we could barely afford to keep the car running. So transportation insecurity was really real um, for my family, and the infrastructure decisions that we make today last a long time. So we need to get them right, because if we don't get them right, it impacts people's lives for many years to come. Um, and many of us are feeling the impacts of 20 years ago's infrastructure decisions, right? So we want to make smart ones today. Um, some of the decisions that have been made recently are getting these new battery electric buses. Um, they are, this bus is running, so they are significantly quieter. A big reason why it's important to move to battery electric bus is because this is a zero emission bus. So we're also not spitting out greenhouse gases, um, and we're transitioning to battery electric from diesel, which is can be quite nasty. So just a couple of facts about the effort to transition here. Um, part of what allowed us to get the 20 buses, this is one of the 20 buses, uh, was 28 million in grant funding. 
um, and that secured 20 40-foot uh, replacement buses. So again, that's replacing diesel buses and getting those off the road. Um, it's including the charging infrastructure, so that's a huge expense, and transitioning the garage. So the Cold Springs garage is slated to be transitioned fully over to battery electric. Um, it's also funding workforce development and training because we have staff that know how to fix all of our diesel buses, but we need staff that know how to fix the battery systems, that know how to work the battery electric buses. Um, but we have to reskill everybody and make sure that we're getting everybody ready to move over to that battery electric bus um, and all of the uh, components that go along with that. I also want to point out with all these new buses, this is a really uh, fancy feature. You can let folks know if they catch the battery electric bus. This is a wheelchair securement system and this one's fully automated. So the person can come on and independently press a button to secure themselves in their wheelchair into the bus. So it no longer requires the operator to leave their station up here to come secure the wheelchair. That can happen on its own, um, which is really exciting. So, and then I think I already mentioned that we're this grant set the stage to start to move that Cold Springs garage entirely to battery electric, um, which is really, really exciting. And it got 20 buses that were from our 2006 series off the road. So they were already nearing the end of their usable life. Um, if you take the bus a lot and you've been on one of the older buses, um, this is a significant upgrade. It's more comfortable, it's definitely cleaner, um, so it's, it's nice all around. Kingsley Park was the first of three locations that the NLG participants would visit. On hand were David Hahn Baker, informally known as the godfather of the environmental movement of Western New York, and Bill Nowak, a former Buffalo City Council staffer and fellow environmental crusader. Kingsley Park, now a playground, used to be the site of a former de Arsenal company plant, which was responsible for an unhealthy amount of arsenic seeping into the nearby land. Here's David Hahn Baker with more. The threats that we face are planetary threats. Uh, the threats that we face, you know, are existential. They threaten existence as it were. But the ones who hit first and hit hardest by environmental problems are minority and low-income communities. Um, and so uh, we these problems are going to, you know, potentially wipe out life as we know it. But the ones who are going to die first are the people who live in these houses and live in this community. Um, I'm glad actually you got the bus went by and you had to go around the block. Maybe you got to see some of the houses and things. I hope you took notice of the houses that you went by. Um, the houses in this community, um, they were here uh, when Kingsley Park was a park. Uh, basically, the whole story behind it, it's too long of a story for me to go through in any detail, but basically, what was going on here was that we had the Great Depression in 1929, and as we recovered from that, you saw industries uh, that sprouted up in other countries, the car, automobiles in Detroit, for example, uh, still in Pittsburgh. And as they spread out and grew bigger, they opened up the new plants, and the new plants they opened up were out of the main cities in Buffalo. So we had uh, steel mills here, Bethlehem Steel, Republic Steel, uh, U.S. Steel had operations over here, um, GM, uh, Chevy, Ford, all had things operating here too. But once the uh, next economic, the economy goes up, the economy goes down, once the economy went down, and they had to retract. What they closed first were not the plants in the hometowns of Detroit and Pittsburgh, but the plants and things here. So Buffalo really got hit very hard 
uh, by the economic downturn. Um, the story of here is actually of a company called Darsenal that made a drug to treat syphilis. Um, when you have a lot of plants, you have a lot of workers. When you have a lot of workers, you have a lot of sex. When you have a lot of sex, you have a lot of syphilis. So that created this whole web of business. So the people who were at Darsenal made this thing called Severtan 606. There was this arsenic-based drug to treat syphilis that they then gave to the workers who came down with syphilis from sexual and things of that nature. What they did was they would um, basically one create a lot of waste in making up this this pill. In particular, they had these filters that were just laden with arsenic, and they would take the filters out in behind the basically when these industries were set up to make these things arsenic. They really were my pop factory. They would really set up in their backyards to manufacture stuff. So they would take the pallets out to their backyards and wash them out and create these veins of um, arctic laden um, uh, runoff. In addition to that, they would dispose of the filters so they would bury them in the backyard and things like that. So, in essence, it's hard to visualize it. This actually looks much better than it looked at that time. It was just this fence. Uh, that had this sign on that said, you know, toxic waste site, uh, do not enter. And then you had all these houses, you know, that you have a house, a street, and a fence about the, where they are. And the people, the houses, they can sell them because there's a hazardous waste site, you know, very complex, very complicated. So at any rate, the community organized, and the folks just like you, there was the Kingsley Park Coalition, which was actually chaired by a fellow that I met named Charles Davis, who had a daughter that he was raised in the area. And the Kingsley Park Coalition uh, pushed DC. What they wanted to do was actually have DC buy the houses um, so the people could actually move away so they couldn't sell them. Uh, DC didn't have the money and desire to do that. Uh, so they said no. So they pushed and pushed and pushed. They got DC to grudgingly do things. Like finally they wouldn't, they said, well, you have to test other people. They wouldn't do that. So then they said DC finally got them to test the soil. DC tested the soil and found arsenic above the action levels for to take action. Um, there's a memo that we actually had from DC that said we found arsenic above the action levels, no further action required. And that was basically how the black community here was treated about things. And these were environmental justice issues. Finally, uh, Clarence Davis, who was running the coalition, said, I can't raise my daughter in this, and he moved to Chictawaga. Um, and Reverend James Josie of uh, the Church of God in Christ ended up heading up the case of our coalition, and I mostly worked with him. Uh, people moved, but the church did move, so that was why Reverend Josie ended up heading things up. Uh, Reverend Josie ended up actually blackmailing uh, DEC with the memo that, with, that said no further action required, even though it was above the action levels to get them, first they tried to get them to buy the houses, they wouldn't do that, but they did agree to at least take people and move them to hotels for the six months while they were excavating the park and things like that. But they cleared off this, they built this basketball court that's new. This swings are new, all these things that were here are they're new. So it's a long, long story, but let me turn things over to Bill Nowak. Um, Bill is a person who I think is most responsible for protecting Buffalo's environment and for the things that we have for today. So I can't say too much, you know, to to honor him because he really has been a great leader on this. So Bill, why don't you 
Okay, back at you. You've been a great partner and, and leader in all this as well. So. I, I see this as both a triumph and a tragedy, this, this process here. There was a factory here. It's a tragedy because they should have done a much better job of what they did here, and it should have been much more careful. It should have been very well regulated. But it's a triumph because this was a community coming together to get a waste site taken care of. The newspaper reports at the time said at that point there were 93 toxic waste sites in Erie County, and this was the first one that got taken care of. Didn't get done perfectly, didn't get done as, as far as it should have, but it was a, a really strong community effort that made it happen. Um, so arsenic, how many of you are familiar with arsenic? You've heard of it from, from David talking about it, but you, what do you know about it? Okay. It's also medicine. For 4,000 years, going back to Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, it has been used as part of medical treatments, and it's even being looked at at this point for moving ahead in chemotherapy, even treatments for things like COVID. Um, you know, substances have, have kind of a mixed life, but it was definitely a poison. The Emperor Nero assassinated his brother-in-law to keep him away from the throne using arsenic. In the late 1800s, it was known as both the poison of kings and the king of poisons because it was frequently used to assassinate pe various people that were in line for, for kingdoms. So um, in 1836, there was a process that was developed that during an autopsy, you could see whether it was arsenic that caused the death. And that really kind of stopped the drug from being used in assassinations so much. But we're basically here because this factory was here um, making this medicine with, and using arsenic. Um, and I'll, I'll read you a little bit what the DE said, DEC said, depending on the length and level of exposure, various symptoms can be displayed. It can irritate the skin, eyes, or lungs. Long-term exposure can cause weakness, nausea, stomach pain, diarrhea, inflammation of the eyes, nose, and throat, and a variety of other symptoms. And then if you go into the medical journals, it says it's ubiquitous in our environment. It's all throughout our environment. And it is a potent neurological and liver toxin, as well as a lung, bladder, and skin cancer-causing agent. So that's what was happening in this neighborhood, and it was not being regulated properly. After the company closed, the company was here from like 1925 to around 1950, the late 40s. And when it closed, some of the workers reported what they had seen going on the site, as, as David had mentioned. And this got local environmental authorities interested. Erie County did a test in 1983. The EPA came in in 1986, but it wasn't until 1991 that they started to clean up. And what they did, and a lot of it was due to the community pressure and the, and the community saying, this is what you have to do. They took out the first two feet of all the soil in the park. There was an area back towards Riley Street, a fairly large area where they saw a big yellow streak in the soils where this stuff had been dumped and strained. And they took that down to 10 feet. So they wound up putting in clean soil here. That was a good thing. People in the meantime had been given access to the soil when the factory came down and they took some of that soil, put it in their gardens here. Some of it had leached into the homes on Riley Street. 
So there was a lot of concern about what was happening with the neighbors, not just with the park. They did remove some of the soils in some of the neighbors' homes, but the health concerns continue to be really important to people. And that's, you know, I'm speaking somewhat of triumph and somewhat of tragedy. And that's where the tragedy comes in. They did do testing. They found very small amounts of arsenic in only a couple of the 300 people they tested. They found small amounts of lead in a couple of the people. But the people who had already passed away, who maybe had gotten sick from being in these houses, weren't around to be tested at that point. So the full story is, is something that we're never going to get, and the full impact that this has had on people's lives and the tragedy of it is something that we're never going to get fully rectified. Um, the city got this land in 1967. There was a park here until what, the park was put in place in 1972. So all this time that, you know, there, there were folks who worked in this place who knew there was a problem. There were kids playing in this space. Once the testing started happening in the 80s, they, the city did wind up locking the, the park down in 1988. And after that, they basically uh, did the cleanup. The cleanup cost about $1.2 million. They got um, 11,549 tons of soil taken out of this park. That's about 350 truckloads. About 20% of those were hazardous. They had to be treated as hazardous weights. When I talk about the community really having an important impact on this, you go through the records the DEC laid out, you know, 20 different times when they attempted to communicate with the neighborhood between holding meetings and sending out letters and so on and so forth. It was a really kind of major issue and having been part of it, I suppose I should introduce who I was at that point. I was working for the city council staff. I did that from 1988 to 2004 and was working for Council President Pitts and also Council Member Dave Collins. And the two of them were pushing really hard on this. And the DEC, I don't think, had ever felt that kind of heat before. Um, so, you know, it was a really impressive thing to, to watch. Um, as David mentioned, there was some lead contamination that was a concern as well. What they did, what they said, and they tested for lead here, they found it to be fairly typical of a neighborhood which had had lead paint and lead leaded gasoline, which is, you know, most of the densely populated city of Buffalo. There were also some other chemicals called polyaromatic hydrocarbons that they found that also seemed like it was pretty typical of an urban area. So the main thing here was arsenic, and I, I think it's really important that folks understand the degree to which the community stood up on this project and really made a difference. Yeah, I think there are a lot of missing elements here, and one of the missing elements that I think that, you know, they should use the funds for that they do have is testing people uh, and tracking the people. Um, there's so many people who have gotten sick and have moved, and what happened with them? There's some people who weren't able to move, and how are they doing? So, so going directly, I think, and really checking the people's health would be a good way I would spend my first dollar if I was going to do that. So. The next stop that followed was 858 East Ferry Street. At one point, a brownfield site, or an area which has been complicated by the presence of hazardous substances, pollutants, or contaminants. Janice McKinney, the executive director of the True Community Development Corporation, the development arm of True Bethel Church, was on site. She discussed the work 
that have been done by people such as David Holland Baker, Judith Anderson, Rhonda Lee, Betty Jean Grant, and the Lupus Coalition, among others, to fix the damage that had been done there by the previous property owner, the Michael Heyman Company, and the zinc and lead smelting refinery that once stood there. At the end of the remediation process, eight football fields of lead-contaminated soil were removed. Currently, over 30 family units now stand on the site along with a community center. As we ended our stop at the 858 East Ferry location, I had a brief moment to ask Mr. David Hahn Baker a question before he parted ways with our group. When you see this, this, these 25 individuals that are trying to make an impact in their community and, and, and fight for the same things that you've been fighting for so long, what comes to mind? It warms my soul and makes me feel good. Um, I know when we fought these battles 25, 30 years ago, uh, we fought them because people were dying in front of us, but we didn't know what would happen. And to see these people carrying forth with it makes me feel very good about life and makes me feel good about the future. Um, I know that, I mean, one of the things that has made me feel good about working with stuff is that I don't know how to solve the problems that we have today, but I do know that the future generations are up to finding a good fight. So, um, you know, I have the advantage that I'll be leaving the planet at some point and I won't have to deal with a lot of the problems that we created, but I have a lot of confidence because of turnouts like we had here today that there are people who are gonna keep fighting the fight, so. I hope you're right, sir. Thank you so much for the time. Oh, thank you. The night and tour came to an end at the former site of the American Axle Company on East Delavan Avenue. Since the 1990s, there had been concerns that traces of toxins, and specifically the chemical polychlorinated biphenyls, or PCB, had been found in the surrounding soil. PCB has been linked to lupus, numerous cancer types, and it has been known to cause thyroid issues. It wasn't until 2019 that the New York State Department of Conservation stepped in to begin the remediation process and remove contaminated soil from the 40-acre site. Efforts are still ongoing to get residents to have their soil tested to gather important data about the area. One of the trainers and leaders of the Neighborhood Leadership Group workshops, Tendaji Youku provided me with some time after the tour to discuss his involvement and the vision for this project. I'm here with Tendai Yauku. He is the Environmental Justice Coordinator for Open Buffalo and one of the people involved with the, the Neighborhood Leadership Group and the tour that, that it was going on this evening. Uh, Tendai, how did you get involved with Open Buffalo and how did you get involved with uh, the NLG Group of 25? Uh, so I saw that Open Buffalo was hiring for their ecological justice coordinator, um, and as someone who has been working towards urban planning, uh, sustainable development, um, renewable energy, I saw it as an amazing opportunity to join the Open Buffalo team. And the NLGs, or the Neighborhood Leadership Group, uh, we, I'm taking a trip with, with 25 of them. There was only, out of 75, 25 of them made the cut. Um, what can you tell us about the NLG program and, and what, what they're, the, the goal that they're trying to accomplish? Yeah, so the NLG um, are 25 really passionate uh, community members who either are from the east side or have a deep connection to the east side. 
um, and all of these folks um, have shown their dedication towards improving their neighborhoods. Um, and many of them understand that um, in order to have uh, neighborhoods where we feel safe and that are sustainable and that we can continue to raise uh, generations um, of our families in, we have to ensure that we have transportation systems uh, that do not harm human health or the environments that we exist in. And Tendai, you're, you're a young guy. What, caught, what brought you to Open Buffalo? What, what, what is it that drives you in your, in your pursuit of environmental justice? Um, what I really appreciate about Open Buffalo is that we're an organization um, that actually gets into the community, that talks to people, that engages community members to truly understand what the problems are in their communities. Um, and then we work with them to develop community-led solutions to those problems. Um, and why I love that for the Neighborhood Leadership Group is that the 25 people a part of the project are directly um, giving their input um, and giving their expertise as to how they want to see um, clean transportation options on the east side of Buffalo um, expanded and developed in their community. We just went through a, a very informative tour around the east side to three different spots. What was something that you learned that you hadn't known before, or something that eye-opening or something that, that, that you're going to take back and, and, and share? So I'd never really heard of uh, what happened at Kingsley Park um, and just hearing from uh, Bill and David about uh, all the different uh, chemicals that leached out of the site and um, how it was used, how it became a brownfield site was really interesting. Um, and I'm glad that they brought light to um, an issue that has been covered up um, because of a lot of the environmental issues that, that um, exist within Buffalo or have existed in Buffalo um, have been uh, treated with um, like half-baked solutions. So I'm glad that we're doing this work so that we can create a holistic approach to tackling environmental issues in Buffalo. And for younger folks who are, who are concerned about the environment but really aren't making that extra step to actually make some actual change, what can you recommend? What, are, what words can you impart? Yeah, I know that um, in learning about the climate crisis, it can feel like doom and people can feel hopeless. But I want a lot of people, I want everyone to understand that um, there is always something that we can do in our communities, whether it be as small as, do, as organizing a cleanup to recycle, compost, and, you know, take out the trash. Um, from something big like signing up your, uh, uh, your neighbors uh, for clean energy programs. Um, there's so many different options, so many different organizations, um, so many different um, federal grants and state grants that fund this work. Um, so if you're interested in it, uh, you know, get involved. Tendai Yauku, thank you so much for joining us on What's Next. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> the Neighborhood Leadership Group Initiative is intended to be a two-and-a-half-year program. We thank them for allowing us to come along for this informative excursion and to share this valuable information with our audience. We'll be right back with more What's Next and a conversation about the upcoming Children's Garden Festival after this short break. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. 
This is WBFO, your NPR station. Hello and welcome back to What's Next. Uh, I'm your host, Lorenzo Rodriguez, and I'm joined today once again by a friend of our show. This is her first appearance on What's Next, but she's been on before in our previous iteration of Buffalo What's Next, Miss Samantha White. How are you? I'm so good. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's a pleasure always having you back because you're you're great. You're a great speaker. You're a great advocate for the things that you do, the many things that you do. Uh, I'll get to some of that towards the end because you've made some you made 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 some new accolades. But uh, in the meantime, we're talking about uh, the upcoming Gar- uh, Garden Buffalo Niagara's Children's Garden Festival. Uh, last time we spoke. Right before uh, uh, we we became what's next, it was with yourself and Miss Renata Tony. Uh, she's your co-chair for the Eastside Garden Walk, uh, which wonderful festival now that that's been going on for how many years? Oh, it was the sixth year sixth. since twenty eighteen. And I went out there. I, I I took my family. I I put them in the in the in the little red wagon, and we 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 walked around and went out to your garden. I'll get to that as well, but. Um, how do, how I thought it was fantastic. It was my first time going, but how was the reception? How did it go? Uh, you gave out tons of backpacks. I saw lined up. Oh my gosh, we gave away five hundred book bags. It was phenomenal. The kids were happy. Um, kids and adults alike. Because that one's that one's the one we're going to talk about now is for for the for the tykes and for the for the the the, the utes, as uh, my cousin <laughs> Vinny would say. Um, you're, you're a lawyer, so I hope you appreciate that reference. But uh, it seemed like it was a good turnout. It was. And, you know, the gardens were wonderful. And there was community building and warm spirits and connections that were built. Uh, we had busloads of um, interfaith visitors um, going around the east side and just sharing in community and creating relationships and, and just community building, you know. That's uh, it goes without saying, but that's what we need more of every day. And uh, I was I was like I said thrilled to be out there. Um, now coming up, that one took place around the east side of Buffalo, around Martin Luther King Jr. Park, and on on Fillmore North Parade, and it's happening again this coming Sunday, the eighth, uh, from two to five with the aforementioned Children's Garden Festival. This now it's the little one's turn. What can what can we expect in, is coming as far as that event is concerned? All right, so I'm I'm gonna give it to you. This is your baby, like this the, is the one I, that you created last year, right? This is the second year that, that that this one's going on. I founded this last year, and I wanted it to be um, something of a community celebration. I wanted to gather resources and distribute them. I wanted people to be able to come out, regardless of whether they had lots of money or not regardless of whether they had um, a couple of kids or a bunch, just be able to come out and engage in community, learning, activities for the kids, and resources. We sent people home with so much stuff, you know, people in need. And it was just an amazing experience to see everyone smiling ear to ear. And we're going to do a repeat of that this year. We are going to engage in the education about gardening and environmentalism. You're going to see um, people like Miles 
um, who does composting and he has his worms to demonstrate. He's the worm guy, you know, and the best yes. part is that he's reflective of the community. An African-American man who is engaged in environmentalism. So we are reaching out to uh, show the community that they can, um, you know, engage in these activities and that people like them are already doing it. So it's it's super important that we are representative of the area where um, we are based. Um, we're going to have planning activities, and there's going to be a photo op to dress up as a beekeeper for the kids. Oh. So much more. Conservation groups are going to be out there. All sorts of family op uh, organizations. Um, it's right next to the Buffalo Science Museum, so I'm, they're they're also a part of of the, the proceedings and. And I'm seeing here also Urban Roots Cooperative Garden Market. Yeah, they donated bulbs. So there's gonna ah. be there's gonna be kids getting free bulbs, right? And well, what's what's the point of giving a bulb if there's not a gardening book to go along with it? So we worked with people like librarian Lorna Peterson in order to curate a list of age appropriate um, African American authored uh, gardening books that we're going to be giving away to children for free. That's and we awesome. worked with Zawadi Books and Sharon Holly, who also is um, the uh, executive director for Nash House, to, um, you know, obtain those books that we'll be giving away. So, again, we were really mindful in how we put our resource gathering and distribution together. Um, but we're going to give you a bulb. We're going to give you a... Um, the know-how in, in book form. In, uh, the know-how in book form. But then we're also going to give you a bookmark that doubles as a planting guide so that you know how deep to oh. dig the hole, but you take that out and you can still use it as a bookmark. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And so um, we just greatly appreciate all of the various organizations that have come together to make this possible because truly it's not the work of one person it's the work of an entire community saying that it's time and highlighting said community I, I mean i like i said the east side garden walk was was wonderful because you saw so many folks and folks that are not of the east side there yeah. as well um and I, I know that there's also along with with the bulbs the, the books uh you're going to give away pumpkins yeah this is a fall festival right it's a fall theme festival so it's we, one of the last few. This is the last calendar event for Gardens Buffalo Niagara. So you got to you got to do it big, and we're going out with a bang, baby. <laughs> we're going out with a bang. Got to get those pumpkins for Halloween. We we were able to get donations from a pumpkin farmer and a second friend of mine um, from one of the boards that I serve on. Um, so we'll be able to allow the kids to work with artists because we have artists that are going to be there doing demonstrations and, and working with the children, uh, bounce houses, a DJ. Oh, and you also got bike repairs for the little ones, which is awesome. Go Bike Buffalo uh, is going to be there giving free bike repairs, which. Yeah. So sometimes you have um, children who at the end of the season, they really rode that bike. <laughs> and we want to make sure that before it gets put away, it gets put away fixed. So, you know, if you have a chain that's falling off, if you have a flat tire that needs to be um, repaired or replaced, bring it out, bring it out. And we've got our friends who are willing to uh, help with that at no cost. And last time, I, I like I keep harking back to the, the, 
east the garden walk uh, i am looking forward to going out to to the children's garden festival i have two two young ones of my own and we were glad that we were able to to stop at your spot on the walk and we got to go to your uh your fairy garden they loved it with the garden walk you had everyone open up their gardens for for everyone to come in and see and and admire and in yours you had a you had a, a tree stump that you turned into a Almost like a little gnome garden fairy village, and they loved it. Let's give it some scale. When we say <laughs> tree stump, we're talking 10 foot tall. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. Yeah, it was huge, massive and, tree. And I, you know, in my free time between being a lawyer, being president for a bar association, running festivals, um, founding career fairs, in my free time, I took up chainsaw carving. <laughs> And carved a, a very therapeutic house. hobby. Why not? Why not? <laughs> it was COVID, you know. I couldn't leave. <laughs> so, yeah, I took up chainsaw carving, and, and I have a 10-foot uh, fairy house in, in the backyard. There's a little door that you, you had them knock it and open a... up. and We didn't see a fairy, though. I thought we were going to get a, get a fairy. You had to wish that. harder. Um, keep wishing. I'm speaking with Samantha White. Uh, as as she mentioned, doing numerous things in the community. But right now we're talking about the Children's Garden Festival that's taking place this coming Sunday, October 8th, in and around Martin Luther King Jr. Park on Fillmore and North Parade. And uh, it's it's just, I'm glad that this is picking up steam. Hopefully it continues even more in the next coming years. But uh, why, Samantha, is it so important to get our youth excited about horticulture and gardening? Well, so much goodness comes from the earth, and we need our kids to understand that the earth needs to be cared for and that wholesome things like fruits and vegetables can be grown by anybody, right? And we want them to understand that they have the ability to feed themselves. And um, it's also wonderful to be able to be in community and engage in community gardening. Um, we think that by providing children with bulbs and having them plant these things and seeing them come up in the spring, they'll, they'll feel that connection and they'll know that they've beautified something, you know. And the best part is, as time goes on, that one bulb multiplies and multiplies. And we're hoping that as we touch these children, that that goodness grows in them, and that that interest in environmentalism and horticulture and community grows in them, and that they share it with others. And I don't, I don't want to put you on blast here, but last time you said your gardening skills were, were, were decent. They could be better. The patience, though. The patience. You mentioned the planting a bulb and seeing the fruits of your labor that's an important lesson for anyone, but for, for kids in particular, I think that's a, it's a, it's a big one. So the reason that I, if we're being honest, the last time <laughs> I was here, I said, I, I grow the stuff that I can't kill. It's a good, you had a good garden. You had a decent, you have better garden than I, I have. I'm not, that's, that's my, my, my wife's garden that she's the, the, the one with the green thumb, but yeah, I, I, I need to, I need to expand my, my horizons and start, I don't know, planting a little tomato tree or something. I don't know. There you go. I I think that I, when I garden, I use the items like irises and lilies and 
um, those bulb-based plants because they do exactly that. They multiply, they grow, and it's so hard to, it's so hard to kill them, you know? And, um, yeah. I, I, uh, I see my, my mother-in-law and, and our, and my grandmother-in-law with their, with their clippings and they share the clippings and, and I'm like, oh man, they really like their gardening work. And it's a wonderful hobby and, and a wonderful just thing to invest your time and energy in because you, you, you reaped its benefits. And I assume some of the education is based on, on, I saw your, your, your partnering with the Resource Council of Western New York and Buffalo Go Green. So mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of, of of nutrition and 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 self self grown produce and oh yeah and we're we're gonna have um, organizations so many organizations came out to support I I do have to mention the Children's Foundation of Erie mm-hmm. County they helped us found this last year the Baird Foundation M and T Bank West Her so so many. Blue Cross Blue Shield is going to be out there talking about health. They're going to have the cruiser out. It's so many organizations came together to make this just possible. Um, And we are going to be focusing on nutrition and health and activity and wellness. Um, Environmentalism horticulture because so many good things come out of those things. That's a big one. That's that's I mean. We see the the effects of, of 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 ignoring Mother Earth now, one way or another, and and I remember growing up that being a big push in the '90s, and 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 we gotta we gotta go back to that. We gotta remind we gotta remind the future that that there is a that we want a future Earth, and that 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 greenery, ecology, everything that that comes from the Earth and the Earth itself is is imperative. So Important. we'll. Will you be there in costume as Captain Planet? <laughs> I don't have the abs for Captain Planet. I would love to. Uh, I'll be one of the, the planeteers. Okay, sounds I'll, good. I'll be uh, heart <laughs> or, or earth, fire, wind. I can name them all. Uh, that was a band. <laughs> good work. Good work by you. Yeah. Samantha, uh, and, and we mentioned it. You mentioned it, but uh, you're, you're, you're everywhere. You're the, the co-chair of this event. You're the founder of this event. But you're also involved with the Western New York Law Center. You're involved with the minor. You're the president of the Minority Bar Association of Western New York. Yep. And because of that, quite the accolade that came your way. You were you were named one of Buffalo Business First's uh, Power 100 Business Leaders of Color. First off, congratulations. Thank you. Well deserved. Um, since I've I've known you now for in a relatively short time, I, I you're a powerhouse. You just keep you keep you keep doing something. You're always busy. I wish I had that energy and, and tenacity. So kudos to you. How does it? How does that I mean? I don't know if there's an, an award acceptance coming up, but uh, I just wanted to ask you, like, what does that distinction mean to you? Well, first off, I was shocked, and I so greatly appreciate Buffalo Business First. Um, I, I was floored by it, tell you the truth. I just go out into the community, and I just try and be real with people all the time. Um, some people like it, some people don't. But Sometimes when real, too real goes wrong, no. <laughs> right? No, so you need realness. We have too much of the opposite. And I, I just try and, I, I just try and live a life led by faith and good works. And so that's, that's it, that's what I do day in, day out. 
and um, I follow my heart, and this is where my heart is in, um, you know, trying to look out for people and build community. And you back it up with your actions. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of talk, but you are out there uh, doing some great, great actions out in the, the community on the east side and, and, and beyond, like we say at the start of our show. Um, you're embodying that. So, like I said, congratulations. Uh, Thanks. And and with and, and best of luck with the festival because I I I hope to be out there with my with my Rugrats and and because they love it. They love their mom. Like I said, is a big uh, big gardener. Uh, the gra- their grandmother, mom, my mom also too is all about her flowers and her gardens back home in Florida. So uh, I guess I'm the one that needs to step it up. I'm the one that needs to. I did all right. I bought, I bought a. I got a bird feeder. I want to get a bonsai tree. That's that's my next one. I'm trying to get a little little zen in my life. So get a bonsai tree to, to hopefully uh, cultivate and and grow. But no, this is really really cool stuff. And I hope a, a lot of our listeners make it out there on the eighth of October. Rain or shine. Rain or shine. I mean, we need rain for the plants, but hopefully it doesn't rain. But even if there is a little drizzle, don't let that stop you. We have practically a circus-sized tent, okay? Ah, okay, good. It's going to be on point. Come on out. We're going to have so much fun. Mr. Pizza is going to be given away for free. We're going to have hey. popcorn, cotton candy. It's going to be Wait, a how much is the pizza? Free. you got to remind people that, that one. Um, Samantha White, always a pleasure on what's next. Thank you so much for, for coming on once more. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you. 